2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're studying closely in a, this four-part series. We're in the third part now. What it means to be now a church or a Christian, a disciple that is generous or that is one that is giving. And if you come to this church before, you know that we study now God's word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we've come to a place now where we are studying the subject of giving. Do nothing, please. That we are studying this because we are looking to, to raise funds or anything like this. No, we are studying this because this so happened to come up in God's word. And this is also important for you as a believer in your spiritual maturity in the year of being rooted and grounded that you would be a person of generosity. It is important. There was a story of three men that just didn't want to be a part of the giving at church. And they would come late on purpose to church after the giving and after the offering was received. The pastor started to take note of it and says, Today I'm going to change things up for these three men and I'm going to catch them off guard. So he changed the offering to the end of the service. And when these three friends found out, Oh no, the offering's at the end today. One of them just now faked to faint now and he fainted in his seat and the other two carried him out. <laughs> I pray that that would not be us That we would become elusive When it comes to giving That we would try to avoid this part of our worship That starts and begins with a generous heart We've learned through the last chapter of 2 Corinthians That God is calling us to give sacrificially Cheerfully And God has called us to give faithfully and when we talk about giving, we're talking about God wanting you to become generous with your time. God wanting you to become generous with your gifts. God wanting you to become generous with your resources. And yes, that includes your money. Because God has given us so much and we are just giving what has been given already to us. Yesterday my wife was all day at a conference and I got to spend time with my son and uh, we went out grocery shopping and we were here and we're pulling out, going into our car with our groceries and I was overwhelmed, I can tell you. I had a pause now as I pushed this cart with my son in it and it was full of groceries. I was overwhelmed that God would have provided for our family again. I want to encourage you and invite you the next time you go to the grocery store to pause and to think about how blessed you are that God provides for the needs of your family. That we would not become a church that is ungrateful when it comes to the essentials that God is providing. Not only are we giving to what already has been given to us, but God wants to use your life for giving. In fact, he uses the poor small church of Macedonia in chapter 8 as an example that they were a poor church, that they were a small church, but they were a giving church. And he refers to them as an example. The poor and the small church is the giving church. Then he talks about Jesus, how he gave up majesty, he gave up glory, he gave up the power and the authority of heaven, and he humbled himself and became a man, a human. He became a form of a bond servant. Now, he gave up all that glory to come and to serve you. He was generous with his grace. 
He was generous with His mercy, with His forgiveness to us. Just think about that. How generous has God been to you when it comes to His grace and mercy? God does not give any grace with reservation. He gives it without reservation, His grace. He gives His mercy without reservation. He doesn't hold back grace from you. He doesn't hold back forgiveness from you. He doesn't hold back goodness from you. He is so good. He is always good. He will always be good. He is generous when it comes to being good. Therefore, we want to now increase or widen our worldview when it comes to giving. And I know some of us have the mentality, well, what if I am now limited when it comes to my resources? You know, Chuck Smith, the founder of a movement called Calvary Chapel that God has so used, said this, when God guides, God provides. When God is guiding a work, He's also going to provide for it. When God is guiding you to, to now go and to give and He puts it in your heart and he puts it in your mind, as He guides you, He will also provide for it in every single step of the way. It was Hudson Taylor, a missionary that went to China that said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. What, where God guides and when God guides, He will provide. And therefore, with that mentality, we have to now have a now heart that says, I want to be a part of a church that generously is giving for the needs, not only here locally inside of the church, but I want to reach out and meet the needs outside as well. In fact, did you know that if you go to our website as a church, and you click on the tab that says our values, six values will consecutively now come up. One of those values that a couple years ago the Lord gave to us in prayer was that we would be a church that gives generously. Not only that gives, but that gives generously. It says this, we believe that God loves a cheerful giver. And that giving is part of our worship. We will aggressively seek to invest into the kingdom of God, knowing our time, our talent, and our treasure belongs to Him. How many of us here want to be those that aggressively seek to invest into the kingdom of God? Uh, do you want to be that person that invests? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We want to aggressively seek to invest in the kingdom of God. In verse 12 of chapter 8, he's already saying, I know that you have a willing mind. I know that you have a readiness. Now it's time to step up. Now it's time to take that willing mind and say, Lord, not only give me a willing mind, Lord, let me step up. The time is now to give. In verse 24 of chapter 8, he says, Show the church the proof of your love. Why does he say, show the church the proof of your love? Because every time we give, it is evidence to the proof of our love. Every time you give to someone, it's an evidence to the proof of your love. Because love is always and it is expressed in generosity. Think about the best example in the gospel, the ultimate proof of love. Was it not Jesus? That He expressed His love generously on the cross. His love was expressed. It was evident. It was a proof. It was a demonstration of His love on the cross. He generously gave Himself and He did it sacrificially. Look at that. He went to the cross sacrificially to give His life. 
He went to the cross cheerfully. The Bible tells us that for the joy that is set before him, he endured the cross. He did it cheerfully. You know, the, the, the pain that, that involved that generous sacrifice, he did it cheerfully. He said, for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross, and he did it faithfully. It's always amazing when you meet people that are marked, that, that are known, that are recognized for their generosity, what an impact they leave impressed in the life of other people. This week I learned of a family longtime friend that passed away, a man that was recognized and that was known for his generosity. In fact, I saw that other people were putting stuff in social media and hundreds of comments of people saying, this man just gave to people. What impacted me the most is that God used this man in my life to show me what generosity looks like from the viewpoint or from the vantage point of a non-believer. And think about this, we as believers should be the most generous people because we're reflecting the grace of God. We are responding to the grace of God, His generous grace. So you should be the most generous people that people know of. But now in chapter 9, he's going to talk about how this generous gift that they were receiving, how is it that they were to take it now to the church in Jerusalem? Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1 says this, now concerning the ministering to the saints, concerning this ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain, in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Why don't we pray? Lord Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that these would be more than just words. These would be more than just verses. That your word, your living breath, your living word would impact our lives. That your, your generous love on the cross would move us to be generous people, to, to take up every occasion and every opportunity that we may give and reflect your love. That we would tell people it's not because of me, it's because of Christ in me and the love of God on the cross for you and for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Amen. I know that many of you have risen to the occasion of seeing someone maybe at a gas station or outside of a store that needs maybe a couple of dollars or a meal. And you've always maybe been prone to, to meet that need because you're a believer. Recently, as, as the Lord has put those kind of people in my path, He's also convicted me to say something that really would go beyond just the gift. And he would say, you know, tell them that you're not doing this because you're a nice person. Because the last thing that you want is for people to leave with the impression that you're a nice person. He said, tell them that you're doing this because I'm in you, because of Christ in you. Do you know that when Christ is in you and you tell people, you know what, the reason why I'm giving you this, I don't, absolutely, I don't even know you. 
But the reason why I'm giving to you, it's not because I'm nice. It's because Christ is in me and I want, and, and the love of God wants to be shown upon your life. Now Paul is now wanting to teach the church of Corinth that the love of Christ is in them. Therefore, they should be givers. When the love of Christ is in you, do you know that it outflows in giving? It outflows like a fountain, just giving it. It outflows. It wants to give because the love of God is in you. Now it says here in verse 1 of chapter 9, now concerning the ministering, and the word ministering is the word diakonos in the Greek word. It means, and it's translated to the word relief. You can write the word relief now next to ministering. Now concerning the relief of the church in Jerusalem. The church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Therefore, when someone is in need, and when someone needs relief, the church is called to action. Now concerning the ministering or this ministry of giving, now concerning the service of ministering to the Lord now, it is superfluous, now he says this, for me to write to you. Now how many of you guys have used that word superfluous recently in a conversation? Not me, right? In fact, what it means, it means this, it is unnecessary. <laughs> it is unnecessary, there is no need that I write about this. Now do you see that he is going to instruct them? And he's going to tell them the priority and the importance of what they're about to do, about to give? Has someone ever told you, you know what, there's no need that I tell you this because how obvious it is. It's a no-brainer. And then they still go and still tell you everything they said they weren't going to mention. <laughs> now that's exactly what Paul is doing. There is absolutely no need that I write, it is unnecessary that I write to you because of how important, how obvious, how evident this is. But I must go on and tell you about this relief or this ministering that you must do for the Lord in relief to the churches. Look at the priority here. Now in verse 2 he says it's unnecessary because of this. For I know, and he, there's going to be three key words that I want you to underline in your Bible in verse 2 that speak about action, that speak about attitude. Look at these words. For I know, first word, willingness. I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. That Achaia, or the capital of Corinth, was, here's the second word, ready. Was ready a year ago, and here's the third word. And your zeal, zeal here, has stirred up the majority. Now he's saying, there is no need that I tell you about this importance of giving now, about the ministering, or about the relief of your generosity for those that are in need, because I know that a year ago, I known of, number one, your willingness. I know that you were ready. And I know that you had a zeal. Now those three words are words that should be embedded in our hearts and our minds when it comes to meeting needs. Do you have a willingness? Do you have a readiness? And do you have a zeal? This is an attitude now that we must possess, that we must foster as Christians and say, I have a willingness to meet the need. I have a readiness to meet the need. And I have a zeal that I want to meet the need. That word willingness, it means I, I know that a year ago you were eager to help. How many of us are eager to help? There are times where we see needs, not only in church or outside, wherever you go, and there is absolutely no urgency or no eagerness to be able to meet that need and stand in the gap. 
We see needs all the time around us. We live in a world of needs. That there are so many needs. Maybe there's a need at your house. Maybe you come to church and you always think, well, I wish at church they did this. And usually when you believe that and God put that desire in your heart, it's because He wants you to meet that need. (laughs) But do you have a willingness? Number one, do you have a willingness? Do you have a readiness? They said here, Paul says, and he reminds them, I know a year ago you were ready for this. And then he also says, you had a zeal that stirred up the majority. That word zeal, what does that mean? That word zeal means a fervency. You were hot about this. You were boiling when it came to this. You not only were eager, not only were you fervent, not only were, were you ready for the opportunity that you were saying, just give me the opportunity. You had a boiling desire now. What did the willingness, what did the readiness, and what did the zeal do? Let's read at the end of verse 2, it says here. Your zeal has stirred up, has stirred up here, it says, the majority. Now I'm going to read to you this verse in the New Living Translation as it, as it gives us a clear picture of what He wants to tell us. For I know how eager you are to help. Are you eager to help today? And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia. I have been telling other people that you in Greece or in Achaia were ready to send an offering. You guys were ready a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm or your zeal that stirred up many Macedonians, believers, to begin to give. Now, do you see that their zeal, that their now willingness and their readiness did one thing? It stirred up. Generosity stirs up. The word stir up means to provoke. Have you provoked anyone to begin to give? I love this because in verse 2 it teaches us that generosity, and please write this down, is contagious. It's contagious. Generosity is contagious. When one person gives, you want to give to someone else. And and when you've received, you should want to just pass on that now generosity that you have received yourself. Generosity is contagious. In fact, it said when you were ready, you encourage other people and you provoke them to begin to give. Who have you provoked recently to begin to give their time? To begin to give now the resources. To begin to give of their gifts. Have you provoked anyone? Have you stirred anyone up? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10. That we are called as Christians to stir one another up. That means that when you come to church. You don't come to church just to sit down. And when that last song is over. I'm jamming to get my kids. And I'm out of the door. Because I don't want them to talk to me and to ask me any questions and to say where I was and to say if I want to get involved and to ask me if I've signed up yet and to say, do I want to help out with the children's ministry? I just wanted to jam. <laughs> You're called to stir one another up. And I pray that you would not leave without being provoked to stir. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and let us consider one another. When you see your brother and sister here at church, consider them. In order to stir up or to provoke them to love and to good works. We should encourage, we should provoke one another to love one another and to begin to serve one another to good works. That is a responsibility that we have. Verse 25 of Hebrews 10 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What does it mean? That's why we assemble together. That's why we come to church to be stirred, to provoke one another, so when we go out, we can do love and good works. 
You see that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? That means that you don't just pick, you know what, today I don't feel like going to church, so I'm not going to go to church. No. You come to church because you're called to be here to get stirred so that when you go home and you raise your children and you go to work and you're a head of household and you're a mother or a father, you're able to stir your family to love and good works. Don't forsake that assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhort one another or encourage one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And do it more and more as you see that Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? He is. Therefore, it should cause you to stir one another up, to provoke someone. Man, Jesus is coming soon. The day is approaching. I need to provoke that person to love and to good works. Now he says these three things that they had. This was a movement where everyone genuinely desired to give. They were stirring one another to now giving into generosity. And it was a refreshing place to talk about here in Macedonia. Because it was a place where people learned and knew this where you can receive. Because these people are givers. Now notice this. What would happen if a live Christian fellowship were to be known as a church of generosity where it was refreshing that everyone wanted to give, everyone wanted to participate, everyone wanted to put collectively their hands together to meet the needs of those around. That's the church. Now in verse 3 it says this, However, after seeing your willingness, after seeing your readiness, after knowing that you had zeal, verse 3 tells us, I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain, in the respect, as I said, you may be ready. Now, we learn in chapter 8 that he's sending now a team of men that would go out, now including Titus, and receive this gift from the Corinthians to take it now to the church of Jerusalem. Now in verse 3, he says, I know you were ready, I know you had zeal, I know that you had a mind, that you thought it was a great idea. However, I sent these brothers so that I don't just boast about you and it would be in vain when it comes to your giving. I've been talking so much that you're going to give. I've been talking to people about it, that you're such a generous person, that you have a big heart, that you're so loving, that God has given you so many gifts. That you're very much so resourceful that God has blessed you. I've been bragging about you to the church. However, I don't want all my bragging to be in vain. I want you to actually be ones that give. That as I said, you may be ready. He wanted to stay consistent with his message. Paul wanted to provide accountability and Paul wanted to provide support. You know, it's awesome when we hear messages like this because they, they, they encourage us. They provide accountability in our lives. When we come to church and you receive a message when it comes to giving or you're giving your time, your resources, your talents to God, it serves as an accountability. When you get in ministry, it serves as accountability. Now I have to be there early. Now I have to give my time. Now someone's checking up on me. What a beautiful thing. Because this is exactly what he was doing. He was sending a team beforehand now, Paul. So that they would have accountability and support so that everything he said about them wouldn't just be empty, it wouldn't just be words, and that he would be consistent and trustworthy in his message. You see, there's no reason to write about this. However, the accountability serves as an encouragement. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14, this. Whoever falsely boasts about giving, it's like a cloud 
and wind without rain. Have you ever seen cloud and wind and you just think that it's going to rain and it looks like it's going to rain. It feels like it's going to rain. You see the trees just moving one set and then there's no rain. You know what happened? We thought there was going to be rain. <laughs> you see Solomon says here in Proverbs, that's how a person is who says and promises that they're going to give. However, they never give. They're just making all this movement, all this commotion, all this chatter, that we're gonna, but they never end up doing it. And Paul is saying, I want to avoid that. I want to avoid that there's a lot of talk about giving, but at the end of the day, nothing's happened and it's been a year. <laughs> now do you see why he says, I, I don't think I need to write this, but he still goes on? Because it's been a year and then they still haven't given. He's almost being sarcastic here. I don't know how to write about this because you talked about it, because you wanted to do it, because you had a zeal, because you were ready, you had a willing mind. However, church, it's been a year, you still haven't given anything. <laughs> Let's go to verse 4. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you, look at this, unprepared. I pray that none of us would be found unprepared when it comes to our generosity. Not to mention... We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Then we'd be embarrassed. Not only we would be embarrassed, but you would be embarrassed. Because we've been giving you this testimony. We've been building this testimony that you are going to meet the needs in the church of Jerusalem. However, guess what happens? They find you unprepared. It's not going to be a confident testimony. The word uses the word prepared. Unprepared. You know what this tells us? That when you are prepared and when it comes to your generosity, it is building a confident testimony. It is a building a confident testimony when it comes to your generosity. Do you have a testimony that says that you are a generous person? What kind of testimony follows you when it comes to generosity? Is there any testimony there? Because he's wondering here, he wants to be confident about this boasting. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of testimony do I have when it comes to my generosity? Is there a testimony? And I love that he uses planned. Because giving as spontaneous as it should be, it should also be planned. Did you know that? We sometimes can be spontaneous givers and that's a beautiful thing. However, it's also important that our giving is planned. And we're going to see that here in the next verse. Therefore, because of this, because of the accountability... I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren. I found it necessary. I knew that it was important here to exhort or to encourage now the brethren to go to you ahead of time. Underline ahead of time. They had to go ahead of time. That way we don't show up with Philippians and, you know, and the Macedonians and the Bereans and the Thessalonians. And they think like, hey, what happened? I thought you said they were going to give. <laughs> I said, he said a group ahead of time. Look at this. Verse 5, to exhort the brethren so that you can prepare your generous gift, look at this, beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready. It may be, it's important that the gift is ready beforehand. You see, one of the things that I like about this is that this is convicting and encouraging at the same time for all of us. The ahead of time, the preparation aspect of preparing our generous gift. We talked about this last week, how a generous gift can impact and meet the need and how far reaching it actually goes when you give. We've established that already. 
But here he's saying, go ahead of time and prepare the gift. Why is that? Because when we give, specifically when we're giving to the Lord, it should now involve a lot of thought. It should involve prayer into that gift. And this should be a very careful, spiritual consideration of faith when you're preparing your gift ahead of time before you go to church. There are times where you come to church and there is no careful, spiritual preparation of faith when it comes to our giving. And we decide, hey, I'm just going to, oh man, let me take a check out. Let me, uh, whatever's in my purse or wallet, let me just give to God whatever's there. No, he said, I don't want you to do it that way. Absolutely not. I'm going to teach you to give the right way. You're going to give up. You're going to prepare the gift ahead of time. You're going to go with the gift already prepared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, in the previous epistle, he says this, on the first day of the week, that means when you get paid, <laughs> let each of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. You know what he's saying? In proportion to what I have, Storing up as he may prosper. That's what it means. It means in proportion to what you have. Lay aside your gift. So that when I come, you don't even have to receive an offering. That the offering is ready for the church in Jerusalem. Now do you see why he's sending them for accountability purposes? I love this. Because he's teaching them to really be givers. There's a lot of times in the church that we are scared to talk about this topic. And we teach people how to be great worshipers. And we have the best worship teams, the best worship songs. We teach people the word of God and the doctrine. We teach people how to serve. But we fail to teach people how to give. And you know what that does for a Christian? That doesn't let them experience the full now potential of, of love and of service. And that doesn't let them experience what it really means to be a part of the body of Christ. No matter what you do, you will never experience being a part of the body of Christ until you start to say, Lord, I want to be able to give even a little bit to the Lord. That's when you become a part of the body of Christ. He said, I want you to prepare this beforehand. And in verse 5 at the end, as a matter, this is, this is important, because this speaks of attitude. As a matter, this is the reason why I want you to do it beforehand. Because it's going to be as a matter of generosity, not as a grudgingly or a grudging obligation. You know what the reason on why we prepare our gift carefully? Because we don't do it as a matter of obligation. Grudging obligation. You know what a grudging obligation is? Oh, you want to take your hand out of your pocket. <laughs> you don't want to give. Grudging obligation. Upset, man. I can't believe you gave. Looking at your wife or spouse. What are you doing giving that away? <laughs> That's a grudging obligation. That's giving with reservations. No, I want you to do it as a matter of of generosity. The word generosity means as a matter of willingness. You're not being forced. You're not being pressed. You're not giving out a guilt. You're giving out a gratitude. When you come to church, when you, you're in your house and you are grateful for how the Lord is providing, you are giving from gratitude, not as a guilt. And I want you to give, here he's saying, not as a matter here of grudgingly obligation, but as a matter of generosity, as a willing now gift. Now it's important that we learn this because a grudging obligation is when you're giving with a bad attitude. A grudging obligation is when you're giving selfishly, when you're giving with greed. And if you're going to give that way, it's better that you don't. Because God's not going to receive that type of gift. We're going to learn in the next part of chapter 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a greedy or a covetous giver that is wondering how much he has left over when he gives. And we have now 
the, we fight with the temptation of saying, how much will I have left over if I give this to God? Don't think about it that way. Think about how much has God given me that I am so freely willing to give to Him. Because God has given you so much. Think about this. Has God ever given you with an attitude of a grudgingly obligation? Never has He done that to you. Has God ever given you now as an obligation where He feels that He is withholding or reserving? God never gives with reservation. He always gives without reservation. A grudgingly obligation does that. It forcefully does it. And he's saying, I don't want you to forcefully do it. I want you to willingly do it. I want you to give with purpose. I want you to give with intention. And I want you to be a missional giver. Do you give with purpose and with intention that you cannot wait to have your open hand for that opportunity where I get to worship God in my giving that way? It was Alan Radpath that said this. When God gives grace, talking about how generous God is. When God gives grace, He does not reluctantly open His little finger and maintain a clenched fist full of gifts. He doesn't do it that way. I will tell you today that God's hands are nail-pierced hands and they're wide open. The fountain of grace is pouring itself out with no limitations on heaven's side at all. Think about that. You think when God gives, He gives with His little pinky, His grace and a clenched fist like that? That's not how God gives. He gives with nail-pierced, wide-open hands, with no limitations. What an example. You think about that, that our Lord and Savior gave me, gave you, with open hands that were nail-pierced, without limitation. He gave me His goodness. He's held me so far through those low times. That's what it means to give generously. Let's go to verse 6 as we end. And he's going to remind us here, give us an illustration of agriculture. And he's going to refer to the farmer. Because the farmer goes and he, what does he do? He does a lot of work. He does a lot of sowing. And he's sowing, he's sowing into the field. And what does he do? He sows... And he's waiting that he's going to get a, a, some type of harvest or some type of return. And look what it says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, now when it comes to the attitude over again, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows abundantly, and that word abundantly means with a blessing, he who sows with blessing will also reap bountifully, will also reap with blessing. Now, this is a, a pattern, an example for us to follow. This is a life-giving example of the benefits and the blessing and the privilege of giving. And please, look at your Bible and underline this verse. Don't just look at me. Look at your Bible, please. He who sows sparingly, he who plants just a few seeds, will harvest a small crop. But think about it. What are you sowing into? Because every time you give, you're sowing into, you are investing into the kingdom of God. I pray that we would be ready to sow. That we would come, I want to sow a seed into the kingdom of God. Because when you're giving, you're an active participant of the harvest. You think about this, I don't want to, when I give, I'm an active participant of the harvest that's going to come in. Because I'm giving and I'm sowing into the kingdom of God. 
I'm sowing into the work in the kingdom of God. And notice this, when you sow into the kingdom of God, I know a lot of us, when we think about investments, we think that some investments are not secure, some investments are sure, others are not sure. When you're sowing, every time you sow, it's secure and it's sure investments that's going to pay out in eternal dividends. I work at a bank and I always see people that freak out when it comes to their money. They freak out. Because they don't know if it's secure, their investment, if it's sure, how much they have in their accounts, and they're, they're freaking out about it. Do you know that you don't have to freak out that you, there is no loss when you give to the Lord? There is no loss at all. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't just lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. If, if all you're doing is laying up for your treasures here on earth, guess what? That can get old. That can devaluate. You can take a loss. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How many treasures will you have in heaven? Where neither moth or rust can destroy. It will never get old. Where neither thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? You want to know where your heart is? Find out where you're investing it. Are you investing just in yourself? Investing just in I? Because whatever you invest in, that's what you're going to reap. You're only investing on earthly things. You're only going to reap in earthly things. Are you investing in the kingdom of God? Look what it says in the later part of verse 6. But he who sows bountifully, he who sows with blessing. There is a reward here in sowing with blessing or sowing bountifully or sowing generously or planting generously. will get a generous crop. will reap a harvest of blessing. You think about this, a farmer gives the seed with an anticipation of a future harvest. And when we give, we can have the same heart that I'm giving with an anticipation of a harvest, that God's going to do something in His church. I'm giving an anticipation that God's going to meet my need, that God's going to bless our family as well, because we're putting in first. You think about the farmer, there's two types of farmers. You're going to be either one of those farmers. One farmer, you know what one farmer does? One farmer wants to hold on to the seeds because he's too scared of letting them go. Right? He wants to hold on to as much seeds as possible. Right? But at the end of the harvest, guess what? That farmer who held on to the seeds, he's going to have a barn full of seeds. <laughs> Whereas the other farmer that said, I don't care about letting go of these seeds, he's going to have a barn full of grain. Think about what kind of barn do you want your, your barn to be filled. Do you want to be, your barn to be filled? Look at my barn is filled with seeds at the end of the harvest. <laughs> or do you want to say, Lord, open the doors of this barn and fill it with your grain. Fill it with your blessing because I was not reluctant. I didn't want to hold on. What does it mean that we were going to reap? What does it mean this harvest? I want you to know this. This is a promise that the harvest means you're not only going to reap spiritual things. But also material things. God's going to bless you as well. You're getting, God will reward you now for your obedience. And He will reward you eternally for your obedience. He's going to supply you and reward you. God, there will be never losers when we give to God. Sometimes we think, man, I'm a, I'm a sucker. I just gave to the Lord. Never going to be a sucker giving. You'll never outgive the Lord. God will spiritually and materially meet your need and reward you. And that is important that we realize that. Because He's going to supply every one of your needs because you put Him first. He will supply every one of your needs because you put Him first. Notice that. Now it's important to ask ourselves as we end, where do you invest? 
Are all your investments on yourself, on your flesh, on your desires? Are you investing even in your prayer life? Investing in your meditating in the Word of God? Because when you invest in, in prayer and in the Word of God, you're going to reap a harvest of spiritual life that is going to overflow in a joy and peace in a relationship with the Lord. There are times that we don't pray and we don't sow into prayer, we don't sow into reading God's Word. Guess what we have? We're living on empty. You're living on empty. There are times where we're sowing even materially and, and, and monetarily and financially into the kingdom of God. And guess what happens? We, we're, not, we're robbing ourselves of the blessing of what it is to give to the Lord. How do you give? Do you give regularly? Do you give faithfully, right? Or are we sowing now just sparingly? I'm just going to give to God my change, what's left over. That's not how God wants you to give to Him. God wants you to give to Him bountifully. Now I'm going to give you four points that I want you to, that we're going to pick up on last, to next week. But number one is that generosity leads to blessing. And write this first down, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. It says this, Honor the Lord with, the, with your possessions and with the firstfruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Generosity leads to blessing. Number two, Generosity meets the need. Generosity meets the need. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says this. He who has a generous eye, look at this. A generous eye will be blessed for he gives his bread to the poor. You see how your generosity meets the need of those that are poor, that are in need? Generosity meets the need. Number three, generosity comes with a promise. How does generosity come with a promise? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us this. Let him who is taught share in all good things with him who teaches. Then verse 9, it goes on and it tells us this. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't ever get tired of giving. Don't let ever get tired of being generous. Don't let ever get tired of serving. For in due season, look at it says, we shall reap if we don't lose heart, what's the promise? The promise is that when you serve, when you give, when you're generous, you, there is a promise that if you faithfully do it, you will reap. God, you will reap. Generosity comes with a promise, number three. And number four, this is something that's going to be comforting to all of us that struggle with this. There, there, this is an area that we, a lot of Christians struggle with. We have to be honest. This is it, and we're going to talk about it next week. It starts with point four. Generosity comes with providence. It comes with, pro I want to tell you guys this, it comes with providence. A lot of us sometimes believe that we cannot afford to give to the Lord. In Philippians 4.19, you know what it says? My God shall supply your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see the encouragement there? When we have the temptation and the fear that we, we don't think that we have enough to give generosity comes with providence. My God shall supply your need. Can we say that we want to be ready, willing, have a zeal and say, Lord, I, I want to respond to your generous love that you with nail-pierced hands have opened your hands to me to generosity without limitations. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this time in your word. We thank you, Lord, because you can challenge us, God. I pray that none of us here would remain those that give sparingly. That if maybe we have had some challenges in the past, 
when it comes to sparingly giving, that we would shift to bountifully giving, that we would give with a blessing and that we would harvest with a blessing. And I pray that we would do this with an attitude and motive that you've given us so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, because generosity comes with a blessing. Generosity meets the needs. Thank you, Lord, because generosity, there is a promise in it. Thank you, Lord, because in generosity, there's also providence. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our hands to be those that trust you. Those that trust you. Because there is nothing more that makes us more like you than when we love, than when we 